Welcome to the Vineyard Boise Sunday Message Podcast. You can join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and vineyardboise.org slash live. Subscribe to our message podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to support Vineyard Boise, you can give online at vineyardboise.org slash give. Today's message is brought to you by Pastor Janet and Gray. Enjoy. Um, the other day I was coming over here to church and there's a little itty bitty ditch over here, a little bit of water. And as I turned the corner into the, into the street, there was this little mama duck. And this little mama duck had decided right when I pulled in that into the street that she was going to take her family across the street, right? So she enters the street and here are all these little puffballs that get in line, perfectly in line, perfectly spaced, right? Um, all in line to follow her across the street. And she gets up on the curb, and they get up on the curb, and then there's this last little guy who couldn't get up on the curb. And I'm filming this whole thing in my, on my phone from my car as I'm trying not to run over them. Um, and uh, it, it doesn't really do it justice. So I found a little video on YouTube, so we're going to watch that. And this will just give you a little bit of idea of what I saw. I was sitting there thinking, oh, do I need to go pick him up? I can't pick him up. I can't help him out, you know. But um, I'm also wondering, like, where's the mama duck? (laughs) Right? Where's the mama duck? Why did the mama duck not say, come on, babies. We're going to cross the street. Come on, everybody gather up. Everybody ready? One, two, three. We're all crossed together. No, she didn't do that. She just set it off. We're going across the street. And somehow they just got in line, one after the other. Nobody came back to see the little guy who was struggling. Nobody turned around and looked backwards at all. And, you know, I'm thinking, why didn't she come like the crossing guard? You know, like, the I got all my ducks in a row. Y'all need to wait. Here's my ducks. And then follow the last one, you know, follow them up. But ducks don't do that, do they? They don't do that. They do what ducks do. And the reason they do that is because of this thing called imprinting, right? The duck, the little baby duck, learns from the duck, the mama duck, and they do it the same way the ducks have done for generation to generation to generation. They just do what ducks do, right? They all become just like the mama duck who raised them. And I thought, you know what? We're not all that different. Sometimes we also can carry on and react and behave in the way that we learned in our families of origin as well, right? Here's the good news. We are not ducks, right? Turn to somebody next to you and say, you are not a duck. You are not a duck. That is good news, right? (laughs) 
We are made in the image of God, and because of that, we can embrace change, and we can embrace a new identity, and we can live out of that grace-based identity. So I'm going to review a little context. Some of you who might not have been with us um, the last few weeks, we've been in the book of Galatians, and uh, we've been listening to Paul. He's, Galatians is written to believers. He's talking to believers. He's talking to men and women who have professed their faith in Jesus Christ. They've been exploring and enjoying this wonderful freedom, this new freedom from the religious legalism that they were having to live under. And, um, but now he's seeing that he's kind of worried. He's worried because there's troublemakers coming in and they're telling him, no, no, that's not enough. Um, yeah, that grace is good, but you've got to do something else, right? So he's concerned that they're turning back into, um, back off the way, and he uses the, the kind of metaphor that someone's cut in on you. You were running a good race, and someone's cut in on you. Now you're, you're headed off in the wrong direction, and he's, he's concerned about that. Um, there's a quote from Tim Keller, a well-known author and theologian. He says, there's a great gulf between the understanding that God accepts us because of our efforts and the understanding that God accepts us because of what Jesus has done. Religion operates on the principle, I obey, therefore I'm accepted by God. But the operating principle of the gospel is, I'm accepted by God through what Christ has done, therefore I obey. Right? So the passage that we're in this morning is Galatians, that I was assigned was Galatians chapter 5, 1 to 15. And the first part of this passage uh, repeats the truth that one cannot produce right standing with God by keeping all of those external requirements of the law. And represented here primarily is the practice of circumcision. And we've talked about that a lot, but it's really um, any external list of requirements that you have to check that box to be accepted by God, added by man, right, to maintain right standing with God. In, in church talk, sometimes we talk about that as grace plus. Like, grace isn't enough. You got to have grace plus. You got to do this, right? So Paul is stressing again that our invitation into eternal life with Christ, with God, rests entirely on his work and not ours. We now live under grace, extended to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we've been adopted. We had a beautiful message on adoption a couple weeks ago. If you weren't here, you should dial it up and watch it. Um, we've been adopted into his family, and we are heirs with all of the benefits of the kingdom of God. That's who we are, right? So Paul is stressing that, and he gets a little cranky in this, mess, in this little passage, these verses. He has a little bit of an attitude, and he gets a little heated in a little graphic in his frustration, he actually is wishing even more harm on the troublemakers who want to do the circumcision than the, what they're asking the saints to do. But um, I'm, I just encourage you to read those verses for yourself. I'm not going to spend time on those this morning. I am going to spend time on three verses in this passage that I felt God highlighted for me. Verse 6 and then 13 to 15, which uh, I'm reading from the message. Verse 6 says, For in Christ... Neither our most conscientious religion nor disregard of religion amounts to anything. What matters is something far more interior, faith expressed in love. You know, in, in other translations, it says nothing matters. 
except faith expressing itself in love. In other words, it isn't about how well I can quote scripture, how, how great I look on the outside, all the good works that I'm doing, and all of the, um, the rules that I'm keeping, but my faith in Christ is an internal thing. There's an internal life that actually changes, and then through that internal life, it causes an exterior expression of um, love to others. And it's that freedom and grace that both inspires us and empowers us to live that way, right? Because we can't do it in our own strength. We need that, that power. I guess all of us know that our world is moving in a really disturbing direction. Our, our, our culture is becoming more polarized. People are angry and anxious and cynical. Um, it just seems to be that that it's moving in the wrong direction, and, and certainly we don't see that people are becoming more dependent on God, which we would love for them to be, more dependent on God for their decision-making. And, and part of what drives this is all of those voices that we hear in culture. You know, what's, what people listen to in music and, and what we see on TV or the news reporting. Oh, my goodness, the news reporting. And, and uh, did you know that there's, and the social media, of course, do you know there's something called doom-scrolling? Do you know that term, doom scrolling? That's like when you pull up your, your whatever it is you're looking on, and you're looking at this Facebook or whatever, and there's this, this, this article, and oh gosh, it's negative, and you click on that, and then guess what? As you scroll down, there's another, oh, there's another negative one, and you scroll down, oh, there's more negative, and it just continues to feed you this constant, the algorithm, they call it, which doesn't decide whether it's true or untrue, good or bad. It just says, you clicked on that. You must like that. I'm going to give you some more of that. And if we're not careful, we get in this cycle of just negativity and kind of this, um, no wonder people are struggling with anxiety and depression and, and that kind of thing, because we're fed so much negative, right? Um, but, you know, the, I, so I'm going to just suggest that the people of God have the solution to this, right? And um, so I'm going to bring three points that I hope we can be part of the solution and less of the problem. And we need to focus on moving up. And so we have grow up, and we have call up, and we have build up. So I highly recommend um, this book that Jerry Reddick, thank you, Jerry, for giving me this book. It's called Becoming a Face of Grace by Ed Corey. Uh, this is really a great book. He has a wonderful way of describing how our relationships, and he calls them attachments, how our attachments actually shape our behavior. And, and, and our behavior is driven by identity, same as the ducks, right? Um, we can have shared values and things like that in a group identity, but our, our individual identity is formed in our families of origin um, by our experiences by our primary caregivers, that kind of thing. We, we learn in those environments. We learn um, who we are and where we belong, who loves me, who do I love, right? That's all part of our, our identity being formed. We learn in those environments how to handle emotions. How do we handle pain? How do we handle disappointment? What are the consequences when I make a mistake? Am I safe or not? right? We also, we develop attitudes. We develop our attitudes about faith. We develop our attitudes about things like 
work or honesty or sex or money. We develop all of those attitudes and those very early experiences and those very early kind of imprinting. If those attachments are loving and supportive, then we, we grow up feeling capable and valued and strong and safe, secure. But many times those environments are not safe, they're not healthy, and they're not life-giving, and they lead to insecurity and anger and fear. And when we need comfort and when we need support, and it's not found in those those places in our primary environment, then we have to go find some place for that. As a human being, we're going to look for comfort someplace else. We're going to look for that sense of worth and value someplace else. We're going to find an attachment to something external that makes me feel like I'm okay, like I belong. And that's where sometimes addictions are formed, when we form these unhealthy attachments to things that are not beneficial and they're they're, um, substitutes for what God has for us. Obviously, the most important relationship that we have is our secure, grace-filled attachment with God, which is a gift, right? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. None of us can boast about it. By God's grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, it's all a gift. And as a new creation in Christ, then, we get to now have this secure, grace-filled attachment with God, and that defines who I am and where I belong and who loves me and who I love and what I love. His word and his presence helped me learn about this kind of thing and experience that. You know, remember the duck? Well, we're not stuck. We're not stuck like a duck. You know, (laughs) don't be stuck like a duck. As a new creation in Christ, we actually can imprint on Jesus, right? We have this new identity that can form. We can look at Jesus and we can see this is who I am. This is who I love, and this is who I'm loved by. So that secure attachment with God now influences my motivation and and my behaviors, and it brings me peace, and it brings me security, and it brings me freedom, joy, things that we just expressed today, this morning. So if freedom brings me all of this great stuff, right? If I'm freed from all this stuff, then do I just get to do whatever I want? Nope. (laughs) Short answer, nope. Um, And, you know, they were asking that, and Paul had to say to them, you know, the same thing. What does freedom like uh, in Christ look like? Well, we are perfectly freed from the requirements of meeting every little aspect of the law and keeping the rules to be in right standing with God. We're freed from the punishment of eternity, separated, as as, um, Brent was saying, Um, our eternity is secure. We're freed from the fear of death. I have to say, I'm I'm not so excited about the dying part. That doesn't sound like so much fun, but on the other side of that, I don't have to fear death. I, I know where I'm going in eternity. And my days on this side, eternity is a lot closer for me than it was you know, at the beginning of my life. So um, I, can, I don't have to fear that death. I'm not going to be permanently separated from the love and the light and the, and the wonderful presence of God. 
So that's what freedom is. We're freed from that. We're freed from the punishment for my sin. I know I still blow it, but I have a place to go with that. I can go back to the altar. I can go back to Christ, and I can, I can offer my, my sorrow, and, my, and I can receive forgiveness, and I can learn to live better. So for me personally, I will tell you that the freedom, I have lots of places that I have freedom, but just a few that were really bondage for me, I have found freedom from this um, constant fear of failure. The fear of not being good enough, smart enough, strong enough to get it right, to make the right decision, to not make a mistake, to not be humiliated or embarrassed or ashamed because people will see that I blew it. That was really bondage for me. It put me into control. I was controlling. I, I had perfectionism. It was, and that was bondage. I've also found freedom from taking my own bad advice. Am I the only one who's taken my own bad advice? I don't think, right? I've given bad advice too, unfortunately. But um, I, you know, I would say, oh, this looks like the this looks like the way we should go. We're going this way. God, we're going this way, right? Come on, I, this sounds good. And I'd go off in the ring, and God would just kind of, he didn't go, he just kind of sat back and went, okay, when you get to that dead end, I think you're going to turn around and find out that wasn't the best, that wasn't the best decision. So now I can stop and I can say, God, I need help in making this decision. I need help. I need your wisdom. I need your guidance I, don't, I can't do it on my own. That is great freedom. Um, I also have freedom from the self-condemnation that came from when I did end up at the dead end again, or I did something wrong, or I didn't do something right. I would beat myself up. That is um, bondage. And I'm also free from wearing a mask. Now, I know we're in COVID world. I'm not talking about the COVID mask because there's a good time to wear your COVID mask. I'm talking about wearing the mask that covered my complete face. It covered me altogether. It made me inauthentic. It made me dishonest. I was dishonest even with myself, and I didn't even know that um, because I couldn't admit that I needed help. I didn't know even how to ask for help because that would admit weakness, and then I'd be failing again, right? So um, I am not quite where where Paul was. I, I really can't boast. I don't like to boast about my weaknesses yet. I'm not that happy about them. Um, But I can accept them, and I can be okay with them, and I can admit them, and I can um, find in that loving, grace-filled attachment with God, I can find um, a a way to move forward. So um, if if we have all this freedom, can we just do what we want? Nope. That's where our, my first up is, and that's where we need to grow up. So let's go back to Galatians. Galatians 5, 13, and 14. And when I say grow up, I'm not being snarky like, you need to grow up. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we need to grow up. Let's grow, right? It's, so Paul says it's absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. Just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do and destroy your freedom. Rather, isn't that interesting? If you, you have freedom, if you don't have boundaries to that freedom, you end up destroying the very freedom that you've been given. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. For everything we know about God's word is summed up in a single sentence. Love others as you love yourself. That's an act of true freedom. 
So although it brings release from keeping all the requirements of the law, it's not a license to sin, and it's also, it doesn't, it doesn't provide an absence for the consequences of our sin, right? As a new creation in Christ, we do have that new nature. We, we use the term born again. Our spirit has been regenerated, reborn. We have the Holy Spirit of God now resident inside of us, and our spirit has been reborn and regenerated. And our soul needs to be restored, right? There are still old shadows of our old motivations and our selfish desires and our insecurities that kind of bleed out in. Our, th- those all still, still need restoration. And that's a process that takes our whole life, right? That's called the process. We're sanctified when we're set apart for God for eternity, once and for all, but then the process of sanctification goes on the rest of our lives. And we need others to help us grow. Our, our founding pastor here, Tri Robinson, used to say, living things grow and growing things change. So if you're alive, you should be changing, right? So the absence of that works mentality does not mean that there's an absence of effort. Titus 2, 11 and 12 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us, which sounds like effort to me, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And and in 2 Peter, he gives a whole list in chapter 1. I'm not going to read it. You can read it for yourself later. But there's a whole list where he says, you know, add these things to your faith so that you're more effective. Add godliness and perseverance and self-control. There's a whole list, right? So there is effort in that. But again, from uh, this book, Ed Corey, I love this description of how we can grow together. This is from um, Becoming a Face of Grace. He says, according to scripture, the clear source of grace is a relationship with God. Through that spirit-led relationship, God intends our attachment with him to govern and inspire our behavior, reflecting him in all things. Empowered by the context of relationship, you and I learn from him and his people how to do what Jesus does, see what Jesus sees, and say what Jesus says. From this source of authentic connection with God and others flows life in his kingdom, the thirst of our souls quenched as we experience that we are uniquely valuable, worthwhile, welcome, and loved. Through grace-based attachment with God, the cup of our identity is filled, and with each sip, our interior and exterior world is changed. By no work of our own doing, you and I are thus infused with power to become world changers. So much better than a duck, right? That is so beautiful. That's such a beautiful description of us. The church. So, so, but in all honesty, what happens when we do blow it? How do I handle my sin when I mess up or actually the sin against me? Because that happens too. Well, that's the second up, call up. Um, instead of calling each other out, how about we call each other up? Because we're human. There isn't one of us that gets it right all the time. So we don't need to call each other out. We need to call each other up. Galatians, again, he repeats, for everything we know about God's word is summed up in a single sentence. Love others as you love yourself. That's an act of true freedom. If you bite and ravage each other, watch out. In no time at all, you'll be annihilating each other 
And where will your precious freedom be then? So Ed Curry describes this, when we sin, he actually says it's a break. We sin as a result of our break in our secure attachment with God. Because if that's the well we're drinking from, then when I'm hurting, I will go to that well. I will go and I will go to that, well, that deep well of God's love and, and um, um, grace for me. But if that well, if I haven't been going there and I've attached myself somewhere else, then when the pressure comes, I'm going to go to that old, I'm going to look for those old unhealthy attachments. And so um, there's a saying that says, actually it's Mark Miller, he's a leadership development guy for Chick-fil-A, but he, he has a saying that says, dig your well before you're thirsty. Dig the well before you're thirsty. Lean into your relationship with Christ. Lean into that, that connection with him so that when you're thirsty, when the heat comes, when the pain comes, when the rejection comes, when the circumstance comes, when that bad diagnosis comes, you, are, you have a place to go that is healthy and life-giving. Um, the next chapter in Galatians, it says, uh, brothers, when, when one of you is caught in a sin, restore each other gently, right? And it says when you're caught in a sin, it's like trapped in a sin, which all of us can be. But we can, we have, we can bring correction, but we need to do it with gentleness, right? So grace doesn't give us, it also doesn't give us the permission to judge each other. James 4, 12 says, there's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy but who are you to judge your neighbor, right? We're not, the, we're not the righteous judge. And Jesus in Matthew 7 said, hey, first get the log out of your eye, right? We're, we're so focused on trying to get the splinter out of somebody else's eye. When we have a log in our own, we can't really see clearly. In recovery, you know, I, I have the great privilege to be part of the most wonderful community of recovery. And um, we say... You know, stay in your own lane <laughs> and clean your own clean the side of clean your own side of the street, right? You know, just focus on what God's telling you to do, and um, and then love your your neighbor. Um, judgment comes when we make evaluating behavior more important than preserving a life giving relationship with God and others. We we focus on the behavior instead of focusing on the person and the ravages of sin. You know, we. We, we have to recognize that behavior is a result of that loss of attachment. And, um, and so we need to not label people. And we don't dismiss the behavior, but we look beyond that to the, to the person. We have to look at people differently. So here's uh, C.S. Lewis from The Weight of, of Glory. I love this. This is a way to look at people differently. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is, like, yeah. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. If he's your Christian neighbor, he is holy in almost the same way, for in him also Christ Verilatitat, the glorifier and the glorified. Glory himself is truly hidden. I may have massacred the Latin, sorry, but it means truly hidden. 
For in our brother, Christ is there. We need to see each other that way. So in calling each other up, we remind each other of who we are in Christ. Don't remind each other of what you're doing wrong. When you see your brother or your sister, or, you know, caught in something, remind them, you're better than this. You're made for more than this. God loves you. He has what you need. He has comfort for you. He has strength. You're a man of God. You want to be a good dad. I know that's what's in your heart, and I have faith for you. Let's go. Let's get this right. I'll walk this out with you. Let's call each other up and remind us each other of who we are in Christ. Let's resolve conflict in a way that honors Christ and honors each other, right? Um, Ann Voskamp has a term. She says, I go into conflict. Try going in with pre-forgiveness. Like, I'm coming into this, con- this difficult conversation that I'm going to have to have with you. We don't agree. It's going to be uncomfortable. I'm going to come in pre-forgiving you for being a jerk. <laughs> right? Because we all have that little jerk inside of us. Oh, at least I do. He's still there. But, um, so you, hopefully you'll pre-forgive me. Um, but if we can have that attitude where I, I, you're a person who matters to God, right? And so I want to have that pre-forgiveness when I, when I enter into conflict. We need to release mercy and compassion, right? Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. We, I've received mercy. Um, how can I stand in a place of receiving mercy and not offer it to someone else, right? We need to release mercy and com- compassion, recognizing that sin is the problem. It's that, um, that, that separation. Also, uh, if we are caught in sin, we, we're trying to help each other. Um, let's reduce shame. There's enough shame to go around. If people are blowing it, they know it. I know when I'm not doing right. I know when I'm not in the right place with my heart. I know when I've got a bad attitude. I know it, Right? I don't need more shame. That's what the enemy likes to do to us. The enemy likes to point at us and say, you're a wreck, right? Um, he personalizes our sin. We don't need to add shame to each other. We need to reduce shame and add value. So when we have to have those conversations, let's see if we can't come in with that attitude. And then, you know, inevitably, because we are human, those critical and judgmental thoughts show up in our minds. I wish it didn't come. I wish I didn't have those thoughts, but they still come. They don't come as often as they did when I was a perfectionist and a control freak, and I had the answers for everybody, I can tell you that. I am changing and growing. But so that stuff comes up, and, I, and you know, I'll see someone's like, oh, that's not right. Well, they ought to change that. Well, you know, what I do now is I, I try to say, God, oh, God, I don't want to be that critical person. I don't want to have that attitude. You know, will you help me see that person the way you see him? Will you help me see the circumstance the way you see him? And then I do this. I swipe left, like on your tablet. Just swipe left. I'm not going to keep that critical attitude. I'm not going to keep that thought. I'm not going to you know, squeeze all the juice out of that, sit around and marinate in that negativity, I'm going to swipe left and pray. The last up is to build up the body of Christ. We are his bride. This is supposed to be, you know, most of us, when we marry, we don't marry somebody we don't like. (laughs) Most of us, (laughs) you know. (laughs) 
we also don't come to the altar and say, oh, I love you so much, I love you so much. I'll check in with you next week. You know, we don't do that either. We hang on each word, and we love to be together, and that companionship is what's important to us. We spend time in long conversations drawing out, what do you think, and what do you feel, and listen to my heart, right? So we're the, the bride of Christ. We need to build up the body of Christ. Ephesians 4 says, 4.15 says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up, He's talking to believers. He's talking to the body of Christ. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So if we're going to build up the body of Christ, and this is, we are the church here, not the building, the people. We are the church. We're the, the vineyard church, and I love this church. Um, and I want to build this church. Do you guys want to build this church? Yes! We want to build this church, right? We want to build up this church because this church has influence, has a place of bringing light into darkness into our communities, right? So we have to love community. Well, you know, there's power when we gather together. Those of you who are online, I hope you still, even though you're not in this room, hope you feel connected and encouraged and hopeful, and you get that sense of encouragement and, and community, even though you're not in the room. But as we experienced as we came into the room today, right, there's joy, there's power in gathering together. And you know, we have a greeter team. You're, Somebody hands you a bulletin when you come in the door and says, welcome, we're glad. But honestly, we're the welcome team. Everybody here, all of us, don't we all want to walk into the room and feel welcome? That's a strong invitation to, you know, just a smile. Hey, how are you doing? It's good to see you. I haven't met you before. You know, that kind of thing. Welcome is a strong thing. So many people don't feel like they belong. So there's power when we come together to celebrate, to share grace and encouragement, to share our burdens. Honestly, we're supposed to do that with one another so that we can pray for one another and lift each other up. So we support both the local ministry, we support our church, our local church, we support globally what God is doing in the world. I got to meet um, Jed and Kim Jensen, who we have been praying for from the Ukraine, from Wide Awake Ministries. Got to meet them personally at the um, conference, and you know, we've been praying and supporting what's going, what God is doing through them in the Ukraine. So support is not just local, it's, we call it local, right? It's local and global. And we do that by plugging in, we participate, we volunteer, we give of our time, we give of our finances, we give of our gifts and talents. You know, you may not know the talents you have until you serve in children's ministry. <laughs> Right? You may, you may not know how fun you are, right? <laughs> you may not know how wonderful it is to be part of a recovery community and to be accepted and loved and encouraged and not judged and um, empowered to make changes in your life and then out of that give back. You may not even know how powerful that is. You can't outgive God. The more you give, He just pours more in. 
Another thing is to engage in real conversations, not just comment threads, right? Nobody really changes their attitude or their opinion in a comment thread. Don't get caught up in that, but have real conversations with people, right? Um, okay, I gotta get to this page. Stay curious and non-judgmental, right? Stay curious and kind. If you're in a conversation like that, you're in a difficult conversation, just stay curious and ask a few more questions like, well, tell me more. Help me understand how you come to that conclusion. Help me understand why you feel that way or why you think that way. You know, I heard something the other day that said, um, in in, you know, when we're on opposite sides of issues, when you're thinking about this person who's on the opposite side of an issue with you, we often think that they're either uninformed or unintelligent. You either don't know what you're talking about or you're just plain dumb as a duck, right? The funny thing is, they think the same thing about you. They think you're uninformed or just plain stupid, right? Neither one of those is right. We need to, obviously, we need to make sure that we're well-informed, that the, the sources where we get our information, the Bible, obviously, we need to be in the Word. We need to take our, our primary influence as the Word of God. But also, when we're listening and we're making decisions, we need to have lots of um, perspectives, right? Uh, people are still seeking spirituality, but unfortunately, they're not necessarily believing that they're not seeing the church as the place where they can find hope. But that's who we are. We have the hope. The people of God, uh, um, sorry, John, John 13, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I've loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. If we love each other well, that's the best type of evangelism there can be because they want to be part of a community like that where they're welcome and, and not judged and encouraged and where there's hope and there's joy and there's celebration, right? So the people of God are God's witnesses on the earth today, right? We have strong convictions, but soft hearts. We need to have strong convictions. We're in a battle. But we can still keep our hearts soft. 1 Peter 3.15 says, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Do people know that you have hope? The people around you at work, in your neighborhood, in you know the places where you rub shoulders, where their story bumps up against yours, do they know that you have hope? Always be ready to give a defense for the hope you have, but do it with gentleness and respect. It's his kindness that draws people. People are rarely judged into the kingdom, right? They're loved into the kingdom, right? So the people of God resist the devil, but not the difficult. Loving the unlovable, loving your neighbors, you know? Yeah, honestly, you know, some of us can be irritating. Even some of you in this room <laughs> can be irritating. It's hard to love the unlovable, right? But we, we resist the devil, but we don't resist the difficult, right? Life's gonna, it can be messy, but it's okay. We pursue peace. We love the lost. We're grateful. We're hopeful. 
We're resilient. Do you understand? We are poised. I know the world is looking dark. But whenever the church is persecuted, historically, it thrives. It grows. And we, we have the opportunity. We have a great opportunity. Living today, we have the opportunity to be part of the solution and to bring hope. People are dying for hope and love and community. So we need to grow up personally into more secure grace-filled attachments. We need to call up as we encourage each other to live from our true identity in Christ. And we need to build up the body of Christ, build up the church, so we can be individual and collective witnesses of God's grace to the world. So would you stand with me? Or I'm already standing. We're just going to ask the Lord. We're just going to take a minute to respond. One of the things we do in the vineyard is we, we have a favorite prayer, and it's, it's just simple. It's come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is here to lead, to guide, to comfort, to convict. It might be that someone's here today that has never actually made that first step in growing, has never been able to make that and receive that life-giving, grace-filled attachment with Jesus Christ, with God. That's the very first step, and that's a permanent step. If there's anybody here this morning who, who wants to take that, who wants to receive Jesus and say, I need to do this differently. I need that grace-filled relationship. I need to know that I'm loved and accepted. I want to do life differently, and I need Jesus Christ. If there's anybody here that wants to make that first declaration today, if you just raise your hand, not going to make you say anything or do anything, but we would love to pray with you and we have something to give you. It's going to take a minute. Sometimes your heart's beating fast. Sometimes you're thinking, oh my gosh, why am I feeling this way? If you've got a tug on your heart to say yes to Jesus, That's the most important step. Maybe today there are some who recognize that, um, yeah, I'm connected, but I've lost that really vibrant connection with you, Lord. I may have gone and, and through the distractions COVID has robbed me of connection in so many ways. Um, And I've found distractions and attachments that are not life-giving. And I need to to bring those to you. And I need to repent. I need to ask for forgiveness. I need to lay those down. I need to come back to that place, that deep well of your love and acceptance. I need to grow. I need to grow again. I need to dig a little well around that plant. I need to have my roots go deep. I need to water them with your love and in community with others. In community with others, there may be relationships that need healing. You may, even now, there might be a, a person's face or a situation that you know God is saying, this needs to be changed. Let's go change this. This is dragging you down. There's reconciliation. God can empower you that way. He can orchestrate the timing. He can orchestrate your words. 
Even now, if there are some who know, I know that God is saying, I need to get this relationship right. I need help to do that. I need to press into that. There may be other ways that God is touching you, knowing that you need comfort or strength or healing in your marriage, in your finances. There may be health issues. God is here. His presence is here. His healing presence is here. We have people who are more than willing, who love to pray for you. If you'd like to come forward and and get prayer, respond, come forward. We'd love to pray for you. We're just going to take a minute. Van's going to pray. If you need to go get your kids, please go get your kids. I understand. That's good. God's here. We're going to just sing and wait on God. Just give him an opportunity to speak to our hearts. somebody here this morning that you are specifically praying for unity in relationships specific relationships you're praying for unity and he wants to meet you there this morning we want to pray for you and agree with you in that so if that's you this morning you you realize as, as, as Janet was speaking this morning that that God wants to change that relationship there's a specific relationship in your life and he, God wants to change that. We have faith for you this morning to see God do a miracle in that relationship and bring healing and bring unity. And so if that's you this morning, come on forward. Also, and, and we wanna pray with you. So please do come to the altar. We wanna to pray with you. Also, if you need healing in your body, if you need healing, physical healing, we wanna pray for you. So the altar is open, come on up. We're just gonna keep singing and, and meeting with God. And um, But if you need healing, or healing in your relationships, come on forward. You don't have to run away from that. You are dismissed if you're needing to leave, you want to get your kids, but, you know, if you're needing help in making decisions, wisdom, I feel like there's there's some here who are on the brink of having to make some pretty tough decisions and don't know which way to go. Um, You know, God's available to help pray with you for that as well. So let me just pray for us as we close. God, we love you. We're so grateful for your mercy and your compassion for us, God. We embrace the power of the Holy Spirit. We embrace our identity formed by you chosen by you, called by you, gifted and empowered by you to be the expression to the world of your hope. God, would you bless us as we go? Would you bring to mind those relationships that need healing? Would you bring to mind those places where we need to grow, where we need to put down new roots, where we need to grow in our our walk with you, our devotion to you, Lord, I bless what you're doing in the Boise Vineyard. I bless what you're doing in the body of Christ. I bless your, what you're doing here, God. And we say more. We want more of your presence here, God. We want more of your power here, God. We want more of everything that you have for us. And we thank you and we praise you. 
Jesus. Amen. Don't run away. Nobody's in a hurry. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks.